everybody, welcome to your weekly sermon from Brad Tuttle Ministries. I am so excited you decided to join me today. We're in this journey on learning about the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. This is our actually our ninth message in this series on who is the Holy Spirit. We've been discussing in the last three about the spiritual gifts. So we've talked, we've covered a lot of different topics, and we have uh, covered the. I guess the last three weeks have been on spiritual gifts. And I wanted to to not try to f- put all those in just one sermon, but I wanted to try to break that down so the. Uh, the sermons weren't too long, and uh, so this is going to be, actually, this is going to be, the title of our sermon today is The Beauty of Spiritual Gifts, Part 4. So we're going to add this one more sermon into it, because there's a, a there's a verse, a scripture verse in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 11, that lists uh, what you would call, some people would say, spiritual gifts, or spiritual offices that Jesus has given to the church. So I believe this needs to be included into this. So again, this is the ninth part of Who is the Holy Spirit? And today's sermon title is The Beauty of Spiritual Gifts, Part 4. And yes, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And this particular verse has some really powerful stuff in it. And I think it has some things in here that people question a lot and different um, thought processes on um, come from this particular verse. And so I'm going to try to cover what I feel the verse is saying, what, not what I feel, what I believe the Bible is saying about itself, because that's how we interpret the Word of God. It's not what I think. It's what the Bible seem, what the Bible says about itself. So Ephesians 4:11. So if you have a Bible, turn there right now, and we will get into that, Ephesians 4, 11. All right? Okay. Are you ready? Let me pray first. Father, we just thank you for this time together. I pray, Lord God, as uh, you have given all of us in our conversion, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, I pray that, uh, Holy Spirit, you would guide us through this uh, topic today about yourself. I pray that you would give me insight as I minister this sermon today. I pray that every heart would be open to receive uh, and every eye would be open to see what the Word of God is truly saying. Uh, We just thank you. We bring you into this right now, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint it and empower it uh, to change the lives of people who are watching right now. So we just thank you and praise you and glorify you for this right now in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen and amen. All right. See some new things on my desk over here, here, and I got a mic and I got my audio interface. Well, we're going to be doing a, uh, a live stream program. My wife and I coming up very soon. As soon as I learn how to work all of it, we're going to be doing a live stream. So we're going to be, uh, be able to have guests on or have you on, and you can ask us questions while we're talking, uh, about different topics, biblical topics, and we will get into discussions and, uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I will let you know when that is coming. But again, it's going to be a live stream uh, right here from our office. And uh, I believe it's going to be a blessing to a lot of people. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 11. It says this, And he, who is Jesus, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. This, this, this right here 
is what you will hear people refer to as the five-fold ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Um, so there's five kinds of ministers that Paul lists here, which have been given to the body of Christ by Christ himself. And the first three of these, apostles, prophets, and evangelists, these are all what you would see in the early church as being itinerant ministers uh, who preached everywhere they found an opportunity while the pastors and teachers were the ones who were more attached to a specific location and watched over a flock of people. Um, if you look at Philip uh, as an evangelist, he traveled from Jerusalem. You've all heard the story. He traveled from Jerusalem uh, to preach in Samaria. He's on the road to Gaza when he meets the eunuch who, he, who got saved and whom he baptized. We see that in Acts chapter 8. Um, and then he continued preaching in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Acts chapter 8 again, verse 40. So they are itinerant somewhat what we, of what we see them in the New Testament church or the early church. It says, and he gave some, literally reads he himself, and this is meaning to be emphatic here, Jesus, the Lord Jesus himself gave gifted men to perfect, to perfect the church. He has given men uh, giftings to help build and perfect his church. Um, and that's where these, this fivefold ministry, so to speak, comes in. So he's the one. Jesus is the one who has the authority. Again, and he's the one who bestows gifts. And uh, we are so grateful for that. Ephesians 4 8 says, Therefore, it says, when he descended on high, when he ascended on high, he led captive the captives, and he gave gifts to people. So Jesus is the giver of these gifts. And he's setting about to attain the goal of filling all things by giving his body gifted men to foster and further growth. That's the purpose of these particular spiritual offices, we will call them. And Paul picks up on his main thought in Ephesians 4.7, where he says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then it goes on, and he gave some as apostles. So these are gifts given to the body of Christ by Christ himself to build up. Remember, these gifts are always to build up the body. And this is no difference here. In verse 11, what we see here in, in Ephesians chapter 4, these are focusing... Um, he focuses not on individual spiritual gifts here, but on gifted persons, again, who Christ has given to the church. It's a little bit different there. And if you notice that each of these designations is involved in some way with the proclamation of the word of God, um, which speaks to the critical importance of having a sound word and teaching to bring spiritual growth and maturity. Um, so they are all designations involved in some way with the proclamation of the world. Through some it is revealed, and through others it is declared and taught. Uh, he said, it goes on to say, and he gave some as apostles. So let's get into the meat of this. And he gave some as apostles. So Paul himself was a gift from Jesus, and he wrote this about himself, Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus. That's how Paul started off his letter to the Ephesian church. And then in the book of Romans, he writes this about himself, Paul, a bondservant of Christ, Jesus called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. 
So Paul received his divine call from the Lord, and that call was to serve the Lord as an apostle, especially to the Gentiles. And note that Paul did not seek this job, but Christ sought him and gave it to him. Men seek things. Christ gave this to Paul. This is not something Paul asked for, but Jesus gave this to him. One commentator wrote this. He writes that these gifted men constitute what we shall call support gifts, as contrasted with the service and sign gifts previously considered as found in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. So these first two, the apostles and prophets, they are concerned with originating and expounding the word, while the last two, evangelists and pastor teachers, are concerned with applying the word to individual lives. Um, apostles, the Greek word apostolos, it signifies one sent forth by another or sent ones, often with a special commission to represent another to accomplish his work. It can be a delegate, commissioner, ambassador sent out on a mission with the authority of the one who has sent him. The apostolos was officially commissioned for this position or task that he was sent out on. Now, I want you to really follow me here, okay? Because we hear this term apostles in the church today. People who carry the title of apostle. So I want you to be, be here. I want you to really follow me on this. Primary apostles were those who had, these, especially these 12, uh, primary apostles were those who had seen Jesus after his resurrection and directly received his commission and authority. So when we're talking about the apostles of the early church, one of the things that marked them as apostles was the fact that they had seen Jesus after his resurrection. Secondary apostles, and we're talking now in the early church, secondary apostles were men associated with the primary apostles, men like Barnabas. We see that in Acts 14.4. Then in another more general sense, apostles are sent ones. Say that, sent ones. And so they can be referred to all believers, but never never in the sense of the use of the term in the early church. Be very clear on that. Again, we hear this all the time and people are asking, and I'm going to answer this question later on, are there capital A apostles today? Well, they had a particular job, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but let me, let me go into this and let me put it down my, as I have it in my notes. So in one passage, apostolos is used of individuals, Jesus declaring, truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him, John 13, 16. So in a sense, then every Christian, as we read it here, is both a servant and an apostle, especially those who are sent out on mission work with the authority to reach the lost and heal the sick. So as I sit here, and I don't even, I don't even have this in my notes, as an evangelist, if, if the term apostle means apostolos, it means sent one, um, just looking at what the word says about itself, that would almost refer to when I go out and I, I'm sent out, 
with the authority that Christ has given me to go out in his name and preach the gospel, I'm sent out. So in a sense, I'm working in that office of apostle slash evangelist. Um, but there's a difference between the original capital A apostle of the New Testament early church and someone today who operates in the role of being sent out to maybe plant churches or preach to the lost. They do not carry the title of capital A Apostle. There's nothing wrong with not having the term Apostle by your name, but just being someone, being happy with being someone who is sent out to do the work of the kingdom. Amen. Apostolos is primarily used as a specific and unique title for the 13 men, that would be the 12 with Matthias replacing Judas and then Paul, who saw the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. So it, Apostolos is primarily used as a unique title for these 13 men whom Christ personally chose and commissioned to authoritatively proclaim the gospel and lead the early church. The 13 apostles not only were directly called by Jesus, but again, all were witnesses of his resurrection. That's very important. Paul, having encountered him, began on the Damascus Road after Christ's ascension. Those 13 apostles were given direct revelation of God's word to proclaim authoritatively the gospel, the gift of healing, and the power to cast out demons, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. I mean, they were even oppressed, impressed with the authority they had in themselves. And on one occasion, they returned back to Jesus, telling him how, how they just rejoiced to discover that the demons were subject to them. And that's all, all because of what Christ had done in their lives, right? And then the power of the Holy Spirit operating in them. When these gifted men spoke the word, they had authority and that word of authority especially marked them as apostles. And we're talking about capital A apostles in the early church. Again, by the signs uh, that followed their ministry, that accompanied their ministry, their teaching authority was also verified. They were verified as capital A apostles. So the apostolic teachings and writings became the foundation of the church. And their authority extended beyond local bodies of believers to the entire believing world. These 13 men were the ones who founded the early church with Christ being the chief cornerstone. So these first apostles and prophets were foundational. They were foundational. Hear this, and once that foundation had been laid in the form of the New Testament books, there was no longer a need for this function. And that's what people struggle with. They were these 13, these 13 apostles, these 13 apostles were foundational, and once that foundation had been laid in the form of the New Testament books or the canon, there was no longer a need for this function. And so again, there are no capital A apostles today in the sense that Paul or Peter were apostles. However, the New Testament uses the term apostle, not capital A, 
in a wider sense as a missionary, so to speak, or a church planter. Therefore, and I don't think you would, that wouldn't give you, you should not carry the capital A apostle title if you're out planting churches. I just think that's really important. I always say capital A because you're signifying that when you put that capital A apostle before your name, that you are like the 13 that founded the church. That, 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 um, that gifting, that bot, that that uh, office is is ceased to function because the foundation was already laid. We have our Bible uh, complete, the New Testament canon, all sixty six books. Uh, but and we don't have to. And those who are going out as missionaries and or church planters, who uh, are are under this, uh, who are moving out in this apost- apostolic type arena. We don't have to consider these people as individual leaders of the church like it was in the early church. These are merely people who are given special gifts to serve the Lord in in the capacity of a church planter or a missionary. Because really, again, apostolos just simply means sent, sent ones. So people who are definitely going out on missionary journeys, they're operating in that, in that apostolic arena. Those who are really truly going out and planting churches uh, maybe someone's going out and evangelizing and they're planting and, the, and they're people, winning people to Christ and they're planting new churches. That's maybe we could use it as an apostolic um, moving uh, or function in their life, but not being an apostle. Uh, so in that sense, the fivefold ministry is still active. And then we come to, and some as prophets. And these men, prophets, capital P, prophet, along with apostles, were the foundation of the church and dispensed divine revelation to the early church at a time, hear this, when there were not yet copies of the written word of God. That was the role of that capital P prophet in the New Testament, in the early church, New Testament early church. Prophets in the sense of, uh, and they had re- prophets in the sense of men who received new revelation from God, they ceased as well in the first century, because there was no need once the church was established and the canon was completed, there's now no new revelation. So that function of the prophet was not needed anymore. Uh, Prophets, it's the Greek word prophetess, is literally one who speaks forth or speaks openly or speaks before in the sense of foretelling or predicting future offense. In the Bible, prophetess generally describes one who proclaims inspired utterances on behalf of God. Sometimes the New Testament prophet we're talking about in the early church was a foreteller. He declared future events like teaching eschatology, um, things that were going to happen, uh, you know, um, last, last days type situations. Um, but more often in the New Testament church, he was a foreteller, speaking forth divinely revealed truth for the purpose, listen to this, of sound doctrinal instruction with the goal to lay a foundation and build up or edify the body. One commentator had the following note regarding prophets. He said, quote, a prophet is essentially a man who speaks for God, who unfolds the mind of God. In the early church, before the New Testament was written down, hear this, Prophets spoke directly by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uttering the truths that are now recorded in the New Testament. 
they unfolded what God taught, and thus the body was motivated and galvanized into activity. The modern gift of prophecy, and again, you have people who are calling themselves prophets, they're putting the capital P prophet before their name, that when you look at the, um, the aspect of what that capital P prophet, that title is, those were ones who gave, who were literally dispensing the revelation given to the people who had not yet had the entire Bible in front of them. That's, they were giving them the information directly from God to them, and that's how the Bible was established. Um, the modern gift of prophecy is really more akin to teaching um, because it still declares truth. What has changed is that the truth of God today, hear this, has already been fully revealed in, in the Word, while in the early church it had not yet been fully revealed. So you had the need for the capital P prophet because the Word had not yet been fully revealed and they needed that divine Word from this office of the prophet. Today, the we have a fully revealed Word, so there is no new revelation that needs to be dispensed. All revelation that we have is within the Word of God. There's nothing new that comes on the scene. We need to be very wary of those who claim to be prophets and have a new message from God. There is no new revelation you hear a lot of people say, I had a revelation, I don't, you know, and you didn't, in a sense, you may use it in one general sense, but in the sense of a revelation, all there is no new revelation. I always tell people, instead of saying, I had a revelation, I'll say, I had an illumination in my mind of this particular thing, this thing or that thing. So it's one thing to say, I had an interesting dream last night. It's quite another thing to say, God gave me a dream last night and you must obey it. No utterance of man, because people are trying to give words as a so-called capital P prophet today. And listen, no utterance of man should be considered equal to or above the written word. This is God's completed revelation. People don't go to the word of God enough to get their direction in life. And I've seen this in church. They want someone to give them. They want the prophet who's coming by to give them a word about their future. And man, just get into the word and pray, and the Holy Spirit will show you what he has for you to do. And we must hold to the word of God, to the word that God has already given, and commit ourselves to Scripture alone. Let me read that again. We must hold to the word that God has already given, and commit ourselves to Scripture alone, Scripture alone. So I ask the question, are there capital P prophets in the church today? Answer, the gift of prophet seems to have been a temporary gift given by Christ for the laying of the foundation of the church. The early Christians did not have the complete Bible some early Christians did not have access to any of the books of the New Testament. The New Testament prophets filled the gap by proclaiming God's message to the people who would not have access to it otherwise. The last book of the New Testament revelation was not completed until late in the first century. So the Lord sent prophets to proclaim God's word to his 
people. So I asked the question, are there true prophets today? Well, I answer it this way. If the purpose of a true capital P prophet was to reveal truth from God, why would we need capital P prophets if we have the completed revelation from God in the Bible? Are you, are you following me now? If prophets, capital P prophets, were the foundation of the early church, are we still building the foundation today? No. Can God give someone a message to deliver to someone else? Absolutely. Does God reveal truth to someone in a supernatural way and enable that person to deliver that message to others? Absolutely. But does this mean there are true capital A, capital P prophets today? No. And whatever the case, whenever a person claims to be speaking for God, which is the essence of prophecy, the key is to compare what is said with what the Bible says. And remember, in the Old Testament, when someone who was a true capital P prophet, uh, if they prophesied amiss and their prophecy did not come to pass, they would be stoned. Um, <sighs> that's a very serious thing. So just to put before your name capital you, that you are a capital P prophet, do you understand? I would, I would live in fear. I would... Uh, you know, to get up in front of people and and say I'm a prophet like the prophets of old, and you know, uh, you know when they gave prophets in the Old Testament and prophecies in the Old Testament, those things were so specific and they took place 400, 500 years later to the T. Um, so again, without getting into that too much, uh, I believe that God can reveal truth to someone in a supernatural way and enable that person to deliver that message to others. I absolutely believe that, but that does not mean there are true capital P prophets today. But let me say this again, whatever the case, whenever a person lays claim to be speaking for God, the key is to compare what is said with what the Bible says. If God were to speak through a person today, it would be in 100% complete agreement with what God has already said in the Bible. If God were to speak through a person today in what we call prophetically speak through them today, it would be in 100% agreement with what God has already said in the Bible. God does not contradict himself. Let me give you some scripture references. 1 John 4, 1 instructs us, Dear friend, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 through 21 declares, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. The problem we have in the body of Christ today, and I think I said this last week, is that people don't study the word. Someone gets up in front of them who is anointed, who has a big ministry and has a big title in front of their name, and everybody thinks everything they say is of God. I've been around this game long enough to know that is not true. So whether it is a word from the Lord or a supposed prophecy, our response should always be the same. Compare what is said um, to what the word of God says. If it contradicts the Bible, throw it out. If it agrees with the Bible, pray for wisdom and discernment is how to apply that message. Amen. And now we come to, he gave some as evangelists. Oh yeah. These particular men are gifted, or women, gifted in boldly 
plainly and powerfully speaking forth the gospel by which the Spirit brings about new birth in the hearts of the unsaved hearers. So in this sense, these men or women function much like obstetricians who bring a new baby into the world. God's Spirit, remember the Holy Spirit, creates the newborn, but the evangelist has the privilege of seeing him or her birth into the kingdom. And man, I have been and I have had the privilege of standing in front of a lot of people around the world and sharing the gospel. And I have had the wonderful privilege of seeing a lot of people um, birthed into the kingdom of God. Not because of anything I've done, but because I was used in this office of an evangelist to go out and to help birth these new people into the kingdom of God, into the body of Christ. Amen. So these evangelists, in essence, functioned in the early church as missionaries, and they took the good news far and wide. They planted churches, um, but then they would turn the church over to the more edifying work of pastors, teachers, and they then they would move on to other fields that are white unto harvest. That's what they did, and that's what... Um, I love to do and would love to be doing more of is just going out and preaching and seeing people saved and that there be someone there who you could turn that over to and then they could then pastor them. Um, the evangelist was and is primarily responsible for the numerical growth of the body of Christ. He is the bringer or she is the bringer of good tidings. An evangelist, hear this, knows the gospel narrative thoroughly and is capable of explaining it. I believe that is mandatory for someone who is who calls himself um, as someone who holds the office of evangelist. They need to thoroughly know the gospel narrative and how to capably explain that to other people. It's not just sharing your testimony, but it's the gospel message. Um, so they were traveling or itinerant missionaries who were preaching the gospel to the unconverted and calling them to repentance. I, I would say today there's a lot of people that possess the gift of an evangelist, both men and women. Uh, this gift is so... Um, this office of the evangelist or just the gift of evangelism someone can have this is much needed in the world today because uh, we want to see Christ come back and everyone needs to hear the gospel. So an evangelism can be done anywhere. It's not restricted to mass crusades like a Billy Graham crusade or like when I was on the power team, large crusades like that. The gift of an evangelist can be exercised toward um, a single individual, um, as is clear in the book of Acts when Philip, who was called the evangelist, spoke to, again, the Ethiopian eunuch as he was riding along in a chariot and told him of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So I say this to all of you who feel like you either have been given the gift of evangelism or let's say you're, you operate in the office of an evangelist, get out there and evangelize. And I think if there's any title that someone could put before their name that is legitimate for today would be evangelist. You know, for me to call myself evangelist Brad Tuttle is a wonderful and I believe very uh, 
theologically sound title that can be used today because I believe I operate in that office of the, of, of the evangelist as they did in the early church, even now today, going out and preaching the gospel. Uh, the funny thing is the evangelist, I think a lot of times because of TV evangelists and does, because they're on TV doesn't make them evangelists, obviously, but that name has gotten tainted and there's no reason. And that is one of the greatest offices we have just for people to go out and birth newborns into the body of Christ. So if you've been given that office or that gift, get out there and do what God has called you to do with it. Amen. And next we come to where it says he gave some as pastors and teachers. These two nouns, pastor and teacher, they're connected, follow me here, by this Greek word uh, in, the, in the English language, it's an, A-N-D, and in the Greek it's kai, K-A-I, which often has the meaning that this conjunction of kai, that word kai in the Greeks, connects, connects the pastors or the shepherds and the teachers in a way that speaks of a single entity of teaching shepherds. So some people would say there's four offices, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I have no problem with that. Whatever the case, all pastors teach, since teaching is an essential part of pastoral ministry, but not all teachers are pastors. And being someone who has filled the role of pastor, uh, one of the things we're lacking as pastor, people are lacking as pastors in the body of Christ is actual teaching. Remember that teaching gift is, is a direct function, essential of pastoral ministry, but that teaching gift, as we talked about last week, is something that is describing systematic teaching, taking people through the word of God, whether it be book by book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, but you are breaking down God's word verse by verse, explaining to them the word of God, and thusly they grow as disciples because they're learning the word of God. It's not just from illustrations or stories, but it's actually break. What does the Bible say about itself? That's a much needed thing in the body of Christ today. Again, all pastors teach. Teaching is essential part of pastoral ministries, but not all teachers are pastors. We saw last week, again, there was the gift of teaching. Uh, those people, they exercise their leadership role by feeding God's flock with his word, but not necessarily shepherding them. Pastor is the Latin word for a shepherd, to where we get that word uh, pastor and we get that word shepherd. At this time, the New Testament church was no more, back then, was no more than a little island uh, in a sea of paganism. It was bad. Um, the people who came into it were barely removed from their heathen lives and were in constant danger of relapsing into heathenism. And then so the duty of the pastor was to shepherd his flock and keep them safe. So the evangelist, the missionary, would go out and share the gospel. People would come to saving faith in Christ, but you can't leave a newborn to grow on its own. It needs to be cared for. That was the role of the pastor. That's the role of the pastor today, to shepherd his flock and to keep them safe and to grow them up. Teachers, on the other hand, are an instructor, master teacher, the one who provides instruction. Again, the pastor should be a teacher, but not all teachers are pastors. Teachers are divinely empowered to explain what the Bible says, interpret what it means, and apply it to the hearts and consciences of the saints of God. The Bible says, 
Teachers are to explain, interpret, and apply what the, the Word of God to people's hearts that they might grow in spiritual maturity. Teachers did not simply impart information or open up new ways of thought. They also urged their hearers to live by what they taught. Amen. And I wanted to give you a funny story in the pastor-teacher realm before um, I close today, and it goes like this. It says, the church needs the preaching of God's word if it is to be nourished and strengthened. Most men fail to do this today because preaching the word demands preparation, and that is hard work. And I will echo that. It takes time to put together sermons. And it goes on to say it takes time to study, but men are too lazy to do this. The story is told of one pastor who never prepared during the week, and on Sunday morning, he'd sit on the platform while the church was singing the hymns and desperately praying, Lord, give your message, Lord, give me your message. One Sunday, while desperately praying for God's message, he heard the Lord say, Ralph, here's my message. You are lazy. <laughs> Amen. So that is something, again, it takes work. You know, I... I right now also have a part-time secular job, and I think people think when I leave there, I come home and I watch TV. Um, but when you tell them, well, I have to go home and I have a ministry that I also um, are, am involved in, and that is, uh, of course, they always ask you, how big is it? How big is your church? And it, none of that matters. But I come home, but when I'm off and I'm at home, I mean, I'm working, I'm in my office doing ministry work. Again, going to start a new live stream, doing sermons, doing teachings, and all those kinds of things. And it takes time just to put together a Sunday Sunday sermon that I'm giving you or a weekly sermon. It takes time. It takes several days to put that together. Um, it takes work. It's not just, it doesn't just, I just don't, you know, grab stuff lightly and put it down. I want to make sure I'm explaining God's word to you. And that is something that's very important that we need in the body of Christ, that men um, who are leaders and who are teachers and pastors are spending time in the Word of God that they might really truly grow their people, again, not just with testimonies and stories and funny jokes, but giving them, dispensing and teaching God's Word to them so they might truly grow and be discipled. So I hope you learned something from about apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers. So you may be in one of those offices, and I hope this has brought you some clarity, especially in the area of apostle and profit. Um, very important to understand these things in the, in, in, the, in the age that we live in today and to know how these things function within the body of Christ today. Now, next week, we are going to be starting on a very important part of who is the Holy Spirit, and that is the fruit of the Spirit that is given to each of us at the moment of our conversion, and it's given to us by the Holy Spirit. We call it the fruit, one fruit that's contained within it, nine particular aspects. We see this in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, where it says, I'm, I'm going to tell you why, I'm kind of laughing right now. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I wrote this down to end this. I said, and may I tell you ahead of time that because we have this fruit in us, we have no excuse to not live our lives according to each one given. So I will say that this next sermon, whether I cover all in one message or whether we break it down into two different sermons, 
what is very encouraging that we is that we have been given these gifts, but because we have these gifts, we have the fruit in us, this fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and things. So we now have no excuse as believers to not be able to live in love, to not be able to live in joy, to not be able, we have no excuse to not live in peace. We have no excuse to not have patience. We have, we have every reason to be able to be patient because we've been given the fruit of the Spirit. We have every reason to be kind because we have given, been given the fruit of the Spirit. We have every reason to be good and, and live in goodness towards others because we've been given the fruit of the Spirit. We have every reason to be people of faithfulness because we have been given that fruit of the Spirit. And we have every reason to be people who live and operate in gentleness because we've been given that fruit. And the last one is we have every reason to have self-control in every area of our life because we've been given this fruit that lives inside of us. Some of you need to start eating the fruit again. You're, you're not, your fruit is growing stale in the areas probably of patience, probably of self-control, and probably of joy, peace. Remember, we live in a chaotic world right now. We should not, we'd have no, there's no, perp, no reason for us to not live in peace because we've been given this fruit by the Spirit brought this inside of us that we should now grab a hold of to now live in peace, to now live in joy, to now live in goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and love. If I had a dictionary and I, had, I was looking at this and there was a picture by it, I would see a picture of my wife's face. I have never met anybody in my entire life that lived her life daily according to the fruit of the Spirit. She is someone who wakes up and it's full of love. She's full of joy. If, you, if, any, if you've ever met her, you know that. She's full of peace. She's full of patience. She's full of kindness. Believe me, she's married to me. She's got great patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you want to you know something from my point of view that marks someone who's really living as the man or woman of God they're supposed to be. They're living out the fruit. So I, I always tell people she's the greatest example of a believer uh, that I have ever seen. And I get to see that every single day. To be around someone that lives their life this way is a really, it is a privilege and is a pleasure uh, for me. And I pray that we all be that way. That if you're a husband, that your wife sees these things in you. See why it can be convicting. If you're a, if you're a wife, your husband sees these things in you that we live our lives in a way where this fruit is so apparent to others that they, they, know, they know that our life has been changed because they literally see us operating in this fruit. They see that patience. They see that uh, peace in this chaotic world we live in. They see you living in self-control. Uh, powerful, powerful. These next two sermons are going to be very, very powerful. So we've ended our, our topic of spiritual gifts We've talked about those that are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, those that are found in Romans 12, and we just got into Ephesians chapter 4, 11. And I hope that's been a blessing to you. I hope you've grown from this. I hope this has made a difference in your life. Uh, I hope this teaching has brought some understanding to you about how these spiritual gifts operate and how they may be operating in you and which one you might be, you might have, or which ones, one or ones you might have in your life. 
And so I close with this statement. If you are finding what your spiritual giftings are, man, get in the body and operate in those. Put those gifts to use. The body of Christ needs all of us always operating in the spiritual gifts that we've been given. That's how the body gets stronger. The body of Christ needs you, you, to operate fully in the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has bestowed upon your life. Amen. Let me pray for us. Pray for you right now in Jesus' name. Father, I just come before you right now. I thank you for the beauty of the spiritual gifts. I thank you for putting these gifts inside of us, Holy Spirit. I pray each one of us would allow these things to manifest in our lives, to, to grow and to be used to build up the body of Christ. We want to be one of those, God, who are getting in the game, who are getting out of the stands and getting on the field and playing the game and being used mightily for the kingdom of God. I pray you'd stir the gifts up. We would, you would, but we would stir the gifts up inside of us and we would have a hunger to operate in the fullness of everything that you've given us to operate in. Holy Spirit, use us. Open doors that we might use our gifts here and abroad, wherever it might be locally or internationally, open up doors that we might be able to use our giftings. We thank you for these things today. We praise you for this today. And we all say in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for joining me today. I hope this has been a blessing to you. Man, live out your life in Christ. Live out your, your life in Christ with excitement, with passion, with self-control and joy. Amen. Until next time, God bless you.